The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deeg speaking. Hello and welcome to Fofop's Best of Summer Series. I am Charlie Clawson. That's right. It's a week three of our holiday and we have more great highlights from the year just passed for you today. Um, not themed. Podcast Mike hasn't put in the hard work to name this episode under a, under a certain banner or theme. But just browsing through it, I'm going to say good chats. It's a good chats episode of Fofop. Um, Will and I uh, spoke to some really great, interesting, diverse people this year. Uh, the first chat you're going to hear is when I sit down with Claire Tonti. Um, a bit of context around when we had this conversation. Uh, I live in the Northern Rivers, and this is around about the times that the, the floods were happening. Um, and uh, Gemma, my wife, was away a lot, and I was doing a lot of solo parenting, and I was finding the whole thing quite stressful. Um, so Claire gave me some really fantastic advice and insight um, into parenting in this chat. Um, ironic that I actually host a parenting podcast called Dad Pod, but um, I think this might have been one of the best parenting conversations I had all year. No offense, Osha, we've had some great ones too. Um, you should check out Dad Pod. It's uh, wherever you find your good podcast or on Acast. Uh, Dad Pod with Osha Ginsberg and me, Charlie Clawson, a little side plug. Uh, but let's not waste any more time. Here is Claire Tonti chatting with me. I have memories of when we last chatted and you're asking me about fatherhood and I was saying, Oh, you know, I'm just, even in the bad bits, I'm trying to be mindful. I'm trying to kind of realize that this isn't going to last forever. And I might look back on this really fondly. And I can categorically state, you know, six months later or whenever it was, once we had that conversation, I'm like, that did not happen. Yeah, there was no enjoying of the moment. And isn't this an interesting experience that's helping <laughs> shape me as a human? Can you, as a mother, as a podcaster, as someone who's interested in these emotional states that we go through, can you give me some kind of insight into what I've just been through? <laughs> no, because that's just parenthood and it's so hard. It's so hard. Oh, look, I think part of it is, and I, I spoke to Carly McGoran, who's a psychologist and a mum about this, and you've already done the thing, which is just to name the emotion, right? That's the biggest part of it. If you know what the emotion is and you say it out loud, automatically you put it in a sort of framework and you can kind of tame it. So you name it and tame it, I guess, in some ways. Um, but also I think we just have to be really kind to ourselves as parents. Sometimes we're too um, quick to be really hard on ourselves. Like what you've experienced is just a tornado <laughs> of shit basically <laughs> coming at you and being able to even, you know, have a modicum of sanity when that's all happening. It's, it's too hard in the moment. And especially with sleeplessness as well, I think that's a massive thing. I I recently spoke to um, a woman called Freya Bennett who um, writes for Ramona Magazine and we were talking about motherhood as well and we were just talking about sleeplessness mm. and how so many things in your life can be resolved if you've just got enough sleep. Yeah. But when you're dealing with like broken sleep, 
everything is terrible. And, you know, you can even deal with the climate crisis and flooding if you've had a good night's sleep. Yeah. But when you haven't, it just turns your world on its axis, I think. Did, how did Gemma go? How were you did, – did, did it feel good to kind of get it out and Yeah, I think, I think she it? was – like it, I, I sort of – because I sort of snapped at her about something and then – Something else happened. The dog went nuts or I ended up crying. So I had to go and I hung up. And then I was feeling so bad about snapping. And so I sent her a text just saying, hey, look, I'm operating on zero sleep. You know, this has been one thing after the other. And, you know, it's just, I just, you know, I think I, I can't, I think what I, I think I swore in front of Iona. And it was like, drop the, drop the big fuck. Because <laughs> like, I was so frustrated. And Jen's yes. very conscious of the fact that, you know, we don't, you know, we want... She, we are the model on which she's going to base her behavior. And I understand you're frustrated, but, um, you know, it's something that I'm conscious of because of the way, you know, my father used to react like that. He would get so angry and upset and work himself into a state about things. And I don't think it's a, a great template. And so Jem is, you know, often will remind me when she sees me, because I often blow up things that don't require that level of, of, of you know, stress. But I think she was very accommodating. Like I, she understood the position that we were both in, you know. Um, uh, as someone who listens to Dad Pod sort of wrote in and was asking um, us about they travel a lot for work and, you know, what what did we think would be helpful to their partner when they got back? And as someone who does a lot of the stay-at-home parenting, it's like when you come back, just be willing to kind of hear that person out. Like it might be the most mundane shit that they're going to talk about. <laughs> You know, especially if your your job's been really interesting and you've travelled a lot or whatever. But like, you just, it, I think the venting is important. And you know, Gemini have been together a long time now, so I think she she's able to sift between what is genuine anger and what is kind of more just like mm. a yeah. you know, scared little inner child totally. Charlie having a, a tantrum because you know he didn't get his way. And you know, that's the thing that I find most challenging yeah, about totally. all this is the it's so ego related. You know, my ego gets hurt when, you know, I I can't get Iona to do what I want. You know, she won't brush her teeth. She won't get dressed. You know, she just refuses to do things. And, you know, that little kind of inner critic in me is like, if you were a better parent, you'd be able to solve this. You know, you'd be able to think up a tactic or you'd be Aww. able to get around this. But instead, I get frustrated. And then that anger, it's not really with her. It's, the, it's frustration with myself. And that kind of manifests itself like... I was sulking this morning. I, I couldn't believe it. I was sort of, I was having this out of body experience where she just, it was a morning of nose and she just wouldn't get dressed. She wouldn't brush her teeth. She wouldn't listen to me. She wouldn't do this. And so I just like had a, like a hissy fit myself. I was like, well, that's fine. I'm just going to go sit in the living room. And you know, when you're ready to go to daycare, you just come let me know. And I just went and sulked in the living room. <laughs> and then I had this moment of going, what are you, you're the adult in this situation. What are you doing running off and having a cry? Like, <laughs> no. just like, oh, just growing mate. up. So how old are we not, uh, Iona now? Iona. I was going to um, say Winona. How old is Iona She's two now? and a half. Two and a half, yeah. So she's like smack bang in the toddler stage, right? Yeah. And toddler's superpower is to just make you infuriated. <laughs> and they're just, they're like, right, basically. They yeah. just love, they're testing their boundaries. They're testing all their word no's. They're like the, the teenager mm. of kid land. Yeah. So what you see at t two and three is what you'll probably see when they hit teenager, but even worse. So God help us when it gets to there. Yeah. And I think um, 
one of the things I was speaking to another friend of mine for the podcast, actually, Felicity Odgers, who's a play therapist and a primary school teacher first and then moved into play therapy and works a lot with kids um, through all things, you know, separations, um, grief, loss, even just sort of bedwetting issues, all kinds of stuff, um, particularly through play. But she was saying one of the things that parenthood really does bring up is a reflection of yourself and your issues. And Mm. the older that your kids get, the more of your own childhood kind of raises its head. And and that's why I think, and she said she started to study psychology for this reason because she's been working with kids for so long, but she's realised that actually so much of the work is supporting parents to do exactly what you're just saying, you know, coping with your own insanity and your own stuff, the way you see yourself, the way your parents raised you and then your own failings. And when you're, there's nothing like a toddler to show you your own failings, you know, they're really good at it, at triggering stuff. So good at it. You know what she said to me? But just. (laughs) She said to me the other morning, she woke up and she said, morning, big nose. (laughs) It's just like, what? Like, hey, I don't have a big nose, not by anyone's estimation. And your mother's nose is much bigger than mine. Like, if we're going to point out big noses, like, look at hers. Like, where did this come from? I mean, I don't know that she necessarily meant it as uh, an insult. Like, she was just, it was more of a statement of fact. And I guess, like, compared to her nose, it is a big nose. But it was just, like, the first thing you hear from this. I mean, Gem and I often have this oh discussion God. where... You know, we'll watch her being a little weirdo, you know, she off playing her own games or just being the, the quirky little weirdo she is. And we often will just say, did you expect, like, we, you know, we, before having a kid, we talked about what that kid might be like. There's no way we could have anticipated this complex little human in front of us with her own weird kind of like sense of humor and quirks and personality. And uh, it's so strange. Oh, mate. Because this is the thing, right, about parenting. And I'm paraphrasing Glennon Doyle here, who's one of my heroes. But she talks about how when we think of having children, we kind of imagine these little cute beings that will come in and, like, you'll be dressing them in overalls and having, like, wonderful moments, I don't know, like sliding down a slide and daddy and, oh, rosy cheeks and, you know, making a cake together and what a lovely time we're having, you know. And she said what's interesting about kids is they're just little humans. And all of the stuff that we have to deal with as human beings, all the flaws, all the confusion, all the like, why the hell are we here? What is this? Why do I feel like this today? All of these roller coasters of emotions that we go go on, you know, frailty about our appearance and our noses and our (laughs) aging. They all have it. They have it all. Like they've got it all in there. And that's what's so like complicated about parenting that you've got this little person that's going to have to deal with all the same stuff that you deal with yeah. on a daily basis but in a little being and I think particularly when they're two and three they're coming out of that babyhood and like really looking at the world and it's confusing mm. like the world's a confusing place Especially right at the, at the and we moment, have so many emotions to try and name and tame and you can see that in toddlers especially but kids of all ages right like god both of my kids are massive weirdos. Like, I mean, you know, their parents are too, but in a great way, but they are. And you can see these like emotions kind of roaring through them like we have, you know. And yeah. I think that though, like we do, by sort of pretending like we have to be perfect people, 
right, for our kids, you know, like that, that never get angry and never feel frustrated and never feel ashamed or worried mm. or, you know, all of those things, they're going to grow up with people that – that they think are perfect and then they think they have to be perfect and that there's something wrong with them Mm. because they're not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And I think part of the challenge of parenting is finding the in-between of that, right? Like how much of the the terribleness of yourself do you show your child (laughs) and how much do you model for them about? And so I know that for me, and this is a constant battle because you don't always get it right, but I think um, Kyla McGoran, again, I interviewed her in season one, had this lovely thing where she said parenthood is so much about relationship and connection. And mm. Flick was saying the same thing. And it's about the repair because you're never going to get it right. Mm. But what makes the difference is going back in after you've had your sulk. Yeah, or you're ha- like, she said my nose was big. <laughs> And if you want to hear more Claire Tonti, you can. She hosts her own podcast, Tonts, and Suggestible uh, with her husband, James Clement, a.k.a. Mr. Sunday Movies from uh, The Weekly Planet. Both great podcasts, all great podcasts under the Planet Broadcasting banner. Uh, This next chat, this next good chat, was between Will and Gareth Reynolds. Um, You know Gareth from uh, uh, The Dollop. He's also an incredible comedian in his own right and a very, very funny guy. But he and Will uh, got into the discussion about COVID. Now, it's still around, but no one really cares that much. And I know people are sick of the COVID talk, but um, this is a really great one. Will and Gareth talk COVID. So, so there is something about the way that Trump conducted himself when he was president that it was at least, like he was saying terrible things, but he was very honest about the terrible things that he was saying. Whereas we now live in this world where we've adopted those same terrible things, but we've cloaked it in this mystery of no, 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 we're not. Like when Trump said, he got ridiculed all over the world when he said, if we want less cases, we've just got to do less tests. Yeah. And yet that is now apparently the official policy of every country in the entire world, which is let's just dissuade people from feeling like this is a big deal and get on with things. Yeah. We're not pregnant if we Mm. don't piss on the strip. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Until we have the toilet baby that we're now living in. But then you're like, oh, what a dump. Uh, Flush it. Flush it. Nothing happened. Um, Yeah. we, We have like fully gotten to the point where, I mean, you know, they it's always been that every president has gotten more powerful than the last one. And that was true under Obama. That was true under Trump. And that's true under Biden. But I think the carryover of the like version of kind of ignoring it, it's a different version because there's not a guy out there every day just kind of like I mean, the media is also not blasting, I think the policy nearly as much as the media was for Trump. I mean, he was a total fool and was fully ridiculous in every way and wore orange makeup and, you know, was a total clown. Um, But this version is kind of would be the same path that I think he would have basically gotten to, which is like, you know, just fully ignored. He would be like stepping in it more, but they're just like kind of quietly just, you know, doing things, pulling back, certain legislation and 
pulling back funding and and all that stuff and it is well for me it's the tropic thunder principle you can't actually make this joke anymore it, it was probably politically incorrect at the time but it certainly wouldn't stand up today which is the idea that the problem with the lead character in tropic thunder he didn't get his oscar because he had gone the full you know our word was there right yeah. like yeah yeah the full pirate we'll call it the full, full pirate yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, that's so, well done well right? done so he'd gone the full pirate and you yeah. never go the full pirate. So yeah. Trump was the full pirate, but now it is just clown from the neck down. Like they're not wearing the clown face out in public, but yes. they're still doing all the clown shit at home. They've still got the squirty flower and the big shoes and stuff, but they're like, no, no, look at this. Like we're, we've got our makeup off. We don't have a big clown red nose anymore. Clown from the neck down, <laughs> I mean, is pretty right on. Because <laughs> it is. It's just closet clown. Mm. It's just now, it's just like whisper clown, and it's no longer like, shut up, shut the fuck up, you know, which was like so assaultive. And again, was just, it was totally displeasing. But it it's, you know, it's just very similar. I mean, I think that when, you know, when I talk to my family or my mother in England, you know, they, they fully are like... I, they think I'm wearing a tinfoil hat. I mean, they're like, oh, my God, this guy with coat. Like, like I'm deciding to, like, stay within it and, like, not, you know, choosing to just be choosing to have it still linger. Like, it's a weird, crazy. Dis- I mean, I don't know. And you can only talk about it so much. But my mother, who has kind of come back and forth a couple times from England to the States, you know, I'm like. I to try to convince her to wear a mask on the neck because British Airways lifted masking mm. and you know I'm sure by the time she flies unless there is some you know enormous shift which I don't think there will be her you know her plan is like oh you don't you're not you don't have to wear it and I'm like I understand but mm. please like I had to basically be like I'll pay for your flight so pretend you want a game show and the thing you had to do to get that free trip to America <laughs> the game show is called wear a mask for 10 hours and you have to play it in order. And she, it was like, it was having, because she like has still this like extreme poverty mentality. It was starting to work on her. And I'm just like trying to beat that drum to be like, that's your prize. It's a free trip. Like it's, she loves Wheel of Fortune. So she's starting to be like, yes, I won it. And I'm like, yes, you won this. That's right. Look at the watch. Go back and forth, my lady. Yes. You won a prize. But but that's what we were talking about before is like the masking on planes. It's this dude on my flight when I was flying back on um, Sunday, you know, he was like the loophole of I have a drink. Yes. Is just quite a it's it's a it's a pretty big loophole because it feels like a big loophole. So for people who haven't flown, because I reckon there'd be a lot of people who haven't been on a plane since all this oh, happened. So bless them. Uh, in Australia, I believe, at least in my experience of flying recently, it's always been compulsory to wear a mask. However, you can take off your mask to eat and drink. And so I have not been taking advantage of the take off your mask to eat and drink because I believe that that's not full in COVID. I believe if there's some COVID on the plane, it's not like, you know what, this dude like wore a mask 90% of the time. Boys, boys, he's eating some fish. You know the rules. It's out of bounds. Leave him be. What? Once he's done eating, we can move. Until then, war. This is the rules of engagement. 
Imagine if they found out, let's explore this idea a little bit more, that it was indeed true. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt that COVID cannot attack you. This was their big breakthrough, right? They're like, the vaccines are working. The more people who get them, the better it's going to be. But there's variants and it's not a perfect system, you know. It is a miracle of science and whatever. But look, we're always looking for better ways to deal with this. And we have discovered that the airline industry had it right the whole time. If you are eating or drinking, you cannot catch COVID. It's a, it's, we don't know why particularly, but it's just absolutely true. We think COVID might be from America because it respects eating more than any other country. It, if you're pounding food, it will not come at you. I mean, I guess the fact that so many Americans have died probably disproves this theory straight away, doesn't it? Because well, if any country was going to be defended by constantly eating and drinking, it would oh, be the United I, States. I, if you're talking about the Americans' wet dream, look, we can eat ourselves out of this. They'd be like, Kathleen, back off. I'm eating to save lives. Now, what you're, but listen, hold on. Get the family. I'll hold it off at the door for as long as I possibly can. Hand me that linguine. And, um, oh, my God. All right. Don't worry. I'm way to work. I don't have to wear a mask because I'm eating the whole so, time. As long as your mouth is active. What about, so are there still in America any all-you-can-eat restaurants? Like, is that still a thing that exists in America? Is there, like, chains that you can go to and get all-you-can-eat? It has to be. I mean, it, it has to be. I mean, there, there were so many things that I thought were done that have just come back. Um, among them, the handshake. Mm. Oh, yeah. No, there's totally. There are buffets. Yep, there are buffets. Yep, yep. Buffets are totally happening here still. Buffets are back. Buffets are back. Yep. If they ever went away in the first place. But again, I mean, talk about a place that COVID is not going to go. Well, God, look, people are eating a lot in here. Well, that's what I mean. A rule's a rule. (laughs) Maybe it is the safest place. That's where we should all be in all-you-can-eat restaurants. Uh, Well, yeah, we've like sneeze. It's like this the virtual sneeze guard. But, but yeah, I mean, they're handshakes, buffets, uh, just so many different. Like when I was taking lifts the other day, when I was in Syracuse, um, you know, like. I you you are having to kind of acquiesce to the time where it's like yeah they don't like it's it reminds me of like any time I've had sex and someone's like you don't have to wear a condom and that's when I'm like I definitely am wearing a condom after hearing that I like a Lyft driver being like you don't have to wear a mask is like I'm 100% wearing a mask knowing that you are like hey I, I'm cool with it I'm like oh I'm absolutely wearing one hearing that you know that doesn't make me feel safer. That scares me further. You don't have to wear a condom. Like, well, exactly. If that's the policy you're working with, I'm gonna probably strap up. Yeah, I. It's funny, isn't it? How, like, community. I read some really interesting research around this about how the problem with the way that we communicated around COVID is that the way that we talk about things like diseases and pandemics and vaccinations and all these things is actually very community based. So. If other members of your community think one way, you are just much more likely to think that way, right? Like you're hearing from them. Yeah, you get a lot of information secondhand anyway. If people are telling you it's okay, you tend to think it's okay. You see other people, you go, well, if everybody else is doing it, it must be okay. Like, And so I- you feel weird, yeah. So I live in a community where I told you I'd just gone to town before we did this and I was the only person in the entire town. Did not see another person with a mask. And- So I live in their world now. They don't live in my world. I live in their world. And I have started shaking hands again. 
That's my yeah. like. It's more likely to be airborne it. than it is like to be uh, you know, transmitted by hand. And when someone yeah. offers me my hand, their hand in a community where everyone's shaking hands, you yeah. just feel like a prick to be the like wearing the mask is one thing, but refusing to shake someone's hand feels like. And I don't know why. Maybe it's just because it's been ingrained in me all my life that that was a way that you greeted someone or showed them respect, and it's hard to get over that. But it shouldn't be, if I'm wearing a mask, it shouldn't be unreasonable for me to not want to shake someone's hand. In fact, I would, if someone was wearing a mask, I would not offer them my hand. Yet the, the fact that I'm wearing a mask, people fucking shoot their hand at me at all times. How, how much of, okay, I would imagine in your community that you're known, right? People know you? Well, I am wearing a mask. You're a tall so guy with me... a mask, but still, yeah, I mean, you're still kind of, you're still, I mean, you've gotten to the point where I would say there, you're mask recognizable still, right? Which is quite, and that's why your fucking management should not be telling you to upload any goddamn clips to Instagram. You are mask recognizable, Will. I mean, I am, but what I tend to find is that it's it's mostly if, like people have heard my voice, right? Like I'm not disguising right. my voice. What I need is like a bat- there's your that's your I, problem. I need a Batman Bane style mask. Yes, yes, yes. That- yes. <laughs> I'll have a cappuccino, please. Right. Who's this guy? That's what I need because I think. I if- Sorry, I'm not shaking hands. Either. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, which I think would reinforce the not shaking hands thing too. To be honest, because yeah. I think yeah. part of the reason that I do shake hands is. I am mass recognizable and I don't want people to think I'm a prick. Yes. I think that's, See, that's the I problem. I think if I was anonymous, I, you, I wouldn't shake their hand. You need – I mean it's uh, it's also great for you because of how much you love Christopher Nolan. Yeah. You need the Bane mask. I mean when that – I mean – I'd love one that had a, a Batman and a Bane <laughs> setting. For, you know, that's situational, <laughs> you know? And a Joker and a Riddler. <laughs> Will, would you take the Riddler one off? <laughs> it's so fun. Oh, okay. I'm not shaking hands. You can find the dollop wherever you find your good podcast. One of the most successful podcasts in the world. Why am I plugging their podcast when really I should be plugging everything at tofop.com? So I will go to tofop.com to check out all our great podcasts, including tofop. Fofop, Two Guys, One Cup. In fact, we're doing a Two Guys, One Cup summer series at the moment where I sit down with different celebrities and chat to them about the teams that they support, the teams they love and sometimes hate. Um, a bunch of great guests lined up. We've already got episodes out with Adam Zwar, uh, Broden Kelly, Rana Hussein. You can find them all exclusively on the Listener app. More episodes to come leading into the season proper. Um, I mentioned earlier uh, that I do a podcast called Dad Pod with Osher Ginsberg, and you know who Osher is. I mean, if you've ever watched TV in Australia in the last 20 years, you know who Osher is. Um, but he was kind enough to come onto Fofop, and we had a chat, a bit of a deep dive on late 80s pop sensations turned scandal Millie Vanilli. Uh, Osh is one of the smartest people I know with one of the most broad range of general trivia knowledge I know as well. So here's Osh and I getting into the Millie Vanilli of it all. So when I um, was in my nostalgia dip, um, uh, Gemma was in the shower, and so I uh, I was playing music uh, of of the era that we were youths. Yep. Um, and then as a joke, I was like, oh, "What's the kind of what's the the most kind of like um, generic pop song from the late '80s?" And then I was like, "Oh, Millie Vanilli," and so I threw it on, and Gem started going, "No, like turn it off, turn it off," and I was listening to it, and then it I just. It triggered a three-day journey of me oh. reading and watching 
every bit of Millie Vanilli news. Because for kids, if you're a bit younger, I mean, you're probably aware of Millie Vanilli. They sort of become synonymous with people who fake it or, you know, uh, uh, like it, it's um, uh, it's either a slight on the pop industry in general or, you know, people who, who are, are, are fake pop stars. But to live through it, it was a huge scandal, right? Like it seems yeah. kind of quaint today. Like if you said, oh, yeah, um, one of those K-pop bands like, you know, none of them can sing or they, they're heavily modulated. You'd be like, oh, yeah, it's fine. I mean, we all understand what pop music is. But what happened with Millie Vanilli? Like it was the showbiz scandal of the late 80s. Would you agree? Well, they had to hand their Grammy back. That's right. They had to hand their fucking Grammy back. Well, they were it, just two, uh, Rob and Fab, I think they're the German guys. Yeah. Uh, they were just dancers. They were. And I guess, a, I guess a producer found them and went, you guys, in the video, let's go. Well, and on the on went the bike pants. Yes. And away they went. So, and the song was catchy. And here's these guys that look very similar. And the name matches. And they're kind of twinsy looking. And They had the five singles make the top huge, 20 on huge. the Billboard charts. Like, I sort of remember Millie Vanilli, but I didn't know. And they won a Grammy for Best New Act. Like, that is a huge kind of, like, yeah. meteoric rise. And so... In reading about it, and you're exactly right, so they were just like two dancers, one from uh, Germany, one from France. There was a German producer who was putting together a group. They answered an ad, and they went into it kind of like, you know, they're in their early 20s and sort of wide-eyed. They recorded a track where they did do the vocals because they were singers, and the producer was like, uh, you know what, we've got some session singers. We'll, we'll come in and don't worry about it. Like, you know, we'll, we'll, um, we'll do another track later, but we need to get this single out. That single goes out to huge hit. And so then the, the Rob and Fab are like, okay, well, can we sing on it now? It's like, oh, well, you know, we need to release this new single and we're onto a good thing. And so they got trapped into this thing where they kept sort of just naively going, oh, yeah, eventually they'll let us yeah. sing until it got so big that they're backed into a corner because now, you know, the train is on the rails. And for them yeah. to actually say anything is going to, like, they're going to lose their money, they're going to lose their fame, but, like, huge consequences. So they sort of got trapped by this... I mean, on one hand, I can sort of understand, you know, how that could happen. On the other hand, you're like, why didn't you just like if you because they say in all these interviews that we fucking hated it, you know, and, and we felt really yeah. trapped and we were scared and we didn't know how to get off this freight train. But then yeah. another part of me is like, well, you know, all you got to do is just like tell someone. But I guess this is in the era before social media where things could yeah. be sort of kept a bit more contained. Because that's the other yeah. crazy thing is like they're performing at the Grammys. They're performing yeah. at music festivals. Like, you've been at enough of these kind of things. Do you reckon you can pick up lip syncing from live performance? Or live well, vocals, I should say? At the time, what was it, 1990, 89? Well, it was something like that. Um, at the time, technology hadn't been able to really let this happen before, okay? Mm. In a, certainly in a live sense. But they were most certainly not the first band to ever mine. No. Oh, my God, no. Well, That's been going on as, like, famously Boney M. Nobody you saw in the Boney M videos was on the record. Oh, my God, no. The right. people on the record cover weren't the people singing. You know, that's just, but no one gave a shit because it was disco, right? Um, and they, it wasn't the first time it happened. I, I guess I, you know, when I think about it now, um, at the time, they were, I'm, I remember Madonna getting raked over the coals for for miming yeah. live, and no, they didn't destroy her career, but she's a a white woman. Um, but these guys, they were, you know, it was all upside down. I actually have a story about miming live, which will 
fucking I've never spoken about this. Okay. But it's it's amazing, all right? I um part of my former career was a voiceover person. Uh I don't do it so much anymore. Um but I used to read ads, a lot of ads. And um I I was once actually Coco the monkey. Uh I never got to say the catch line, but I was once Coco the monkey for a little while. For Coco Pops. Uh yeah. Did you do an accent? Wh- I was like this, and I said, "Oh, I can't wait to win the Coco Pops Cup." Oh my that? god, I think I, I, I recognized that. Yeah, yeah, that was me. So, in one of these studios uh, was the former—I won't say the name of the studio. I won't add him, but you can find out who it was. The former keyboard player of the Australian band Ice House. Great Southern Land, all over you. Okay, don't have to give people clues. <laughs> yeah. So, he was his studio. Yeah. And he was the engineer. And, um, you know, we were, we were talking, uh, this is early Channel V, so 99, 2000, we were talking about something miming, some, I think Britney Spears, I think, uh, right. I think was getting in, in the shit for it at the time, um, which I'd love to tell you about later because I know someone that went to go see her Vegas show. Anyway, <laughs> um, and we were talking about it, he goes, oh, mate, we toured with the cars on the back of their song Drive. Mm-hmm. All right, so if you remember the cars, the um, she gave me just what I needed. Same producer yeah. that did Bohemian Rhapsody, Ted, what's his name? I don't know. The guy that did all the massive layered background vocals. Yeah. He then worked with the cars and that's how they had those unfucking believable Rick pop chorus. Rick Ockensek or something. Rick, Rick Ockensek was Ockensek, the singer, yeah. but uh, the yeah, the producer was the one that put all it. Anyway, right. so off the back of um, Who's Gonna Drive You Home? That one. Mm. They were on that tour, Ice House. They were trying to break this Australian band in America. So okay. they went on tour with them and when you're the support band you've got to do all your sound check and stuff but you've got to do it after the main band so the main band has their sound check before the doors open make sure everything's working and you just have to basically sit around and if you're a super fucking star band like the cars you can turn up if doors are at eight Mm. you can turn up at seven for your sound check and if you're the support band you've got exactly eight minutes to get all your shit set up you might get a line check going yeah i'm seeing a signal but we'll have to figure out the fallback later doors are opening and that's it you don't get a sound check so he tells the story that they were all sitting at the front at the at the front of house desk waiting waiting hours are going by they have to wait for the cars to show up and one by one these guys walk in and um and they would walk up to the this is 1984 i think Mm. they would walk up to the front of house guy and go hey buddy i'm on tonight (laughs) no problem and then they would walk off you know up there and then hey man Mom tonight. All right, great, great, great. Everyone's texting in my book. Uh, and then the story is that uh, I think it was the bass player. He walks in. He's got uh, like a super hot new female friend uh, mm. on each arm, sunglasses on. <laughs> and he walks in and he says, I'm not on tonight. And he walks <laughs> off to stage. Front of house guy, you know, turns around and basically lifts up a... a you know, a, a, a drape, like a, something like a tablecloth thing. There's two um, Tascam 32-track reel-to-reel gigantic studio tape machines because yeah. they didn't have hard drives. They, didn't, right. like, they had to play this shit off tape. They had the whole fucking show because there was so much sequencing and live sequences weren't very reliable at the time. They would crash all the time. There's stories of Sting and the police. The start of synchronicity when the thing would crash and he would have to then go over and reload the thing and start it up again because they weren't very reliable on stage. So they would, these guys were running off tape. And so there's these gigantic, uh, you know, huge studio quality tape machines they're touring with. And they were feeding into the front desk. And so basically the, the front of house guy goes, no problem. 
and he just turns down the live DI from the baseline and turns up the, the, the wow. one off the track. Audience didn't know a fucking thing because they had all these big vocals. Like there's only four of them on stage. They can't do 16 voices for the big choruses. But like that's the... I'm on tonight. I'm not on tonight. Like it just blew my mind. So hang they, on, they was it with it, so he was it just his vocals or his actual bass that you bass? Uh, his bass, yeah. Right. Everything. And so, so does I'm that literally mean just going to stand on. Everyone else on stage is going to be playing live. Yeah. But me, you're going to be playing the recorded version of me. Okay, he's going to go on stage uh, and he's just going to mime. And so does that yep. mean? Does that mean that the? Um, does that mean that the band, their set is like the same every night? Because if every night, okay, so they know every, they, they, every night. Yeah. So yeah, you, you, there's no risk of like you know, them but going it's pre- into like a jazz odyssey and the no. bass isn't playing. But again, it's it's pre-social media and and you know it's like a it's like a musical. You're not gonna you know start the second act with a song that's second that no it's like yeah. here's the show and there we go and then we go away we pretend you go we want more we want more we come back and there's the song you know from the radio and then we play the one that you're singing along to and then the house lights go on and we all go home um yeah it's the same thing every night well but the, the interesting thing about you know, millie vanilli is so there has been this movement now because because of youtube and and like new audiences discovering millie vanilli and where we are with pop music and accepting that, yeah. you know a lot of stuff's pre-recorded is there is this kind of movement for them to have their Grammys restored? Because oh. the argument is, well, <laughs> the band, like if, if you're saying that Millie Vanilli is an act, sure, they're not the guys who sang it, they didn't write the music, but they were the faces that sold it and they were the dancers that sold it. And, you know, if you're going to say that, yeah, like, you know, uh, Ashley Simpson or whoever that girl was, you know, who got caught miming and stuff, if she was going to have her career, then no one yeah. asked her to return her awards. And it's also yeah. this thing of um, uh, it was a kind of more of a, a a political move at the time because they had they just won the best new act and apparently in the music industry it was kind of an open secret that look they are not uh, they're not they're not singing the songs and apparently any journalist who interviewed them when they broke in the states because they broke really big if you see them spit try and speak English it's a real stretch to go. Oh, so these guys who can't speak English very well but can go on stage and sing with perfect English, we're meant to believe that's the same guy. But I look at that and because I've just watched a whole bunch of like videos of Millie Vanilli and I think it's tremendous skill that these dudes could mime so well. Like I know, yeah, I know all we're lacking here, if you're going to say, hey, look, it's just entertainment, then there's nothing fucking wrong with what these guys did because they look great, they could dance. Only those guys could have pulled off the bike shorts Doc Martens combo. The reason why people get their noses out of joint is because they were given an award and the Grammys got their nose out of joint. So what happened is their, basically their manager, this German guy, he went, uh, they were threatening to go to the media. They were, it was getting more out, more out of control and they were insisting that they sing on the next album or the next track or whatever it is. And so in a power move, this producer was like, fuck these guys. I can get two new front men. So he leaked to the media about his own band that oh. they're miming. And so that was, I don't know how many months it was after they won the Grammy, but then um, the two guys, Fab and Rob, called a press conference the next day and said, look, we fully intend to give our Grammy back. You know, we're sorry if we're, yeah. anyone's disappointed. But they became these kind of pariahs. Like I remember in the early 90s, yeah. like if you watched any In Living Colour or, you know, Saturday Night Live. There was a couple of Millie Vanilli yeah. jokes in there. I'm pretty sure I saw one of the Wayan brothers playing someone from Millie, Millie Vanilli. 
But it's interesting. You it, hang on. It's interesting you mentioned in Living Color because that's where Jennifer Lopez started as a a dancer. dancer. She was one, one of the Fly, fly Girls. Yeah. And on that Jennifer Lopez song, play, play, come on, DJ, play my song. That right. Yeah. That year. That year, she won a Billboard Award for Best New Artist. Nineteen ninety nine. She won a Billboard Award for Best New Artist. That is Christina Milian's voice singing that chorus. Is it really? Not Jennifer. Lo- yes. Fuck yeah. And it's not Jennifer Lopez. Jennifer Lopez didn't give have to have to give her award back because in ten years by then no one gave a fuck. So that's that's <laughs> that's public knowledge. That's on the record. That, yeah. Really. Yes. 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 But it sounds like JLo, doesn't it? I'm just thinking of That's because she mimes it in the video and your brain thinks it's her. It's not. Wow. That's fascinating. <laughs> All right, we're almost at the last clip. Um, it wouldn't be a faux fop if we didn't bring Dave Anthony back into the mix. Um, a doe fop for those of you out there who are big fans of, of uh, Guest Charlie number one. Um, of course, there's going to be some pandemic talk if you follow Dave on Twitter. <laughs> You know that there's a he has some strong opinions, especially around COVID. Um, but this specific conversation is about the glut of billionaires that seem to come out of the pandemic. Um, Dave is great. Like I said, when we're talking about Gareth, let your podcast called The Dollop. I'm sure you know that. They have a new one called The Olden Days, The Pastimes. I don't know. I really should know. I should have done my research, but if you just Google. Uh, Dave Anthony, Gareth Reynolds, you'll find their new spin-off from the dollop available wherever you get your good podcast. No one sent this link to Dave. I'm so embarrassed. Mike, don't cut this out. I can't be bothered uh, re-recording one where I learn what the name of the new show is. The past times, the olden times, the past, whatever. You get it. Anyway, here is Will and Dave Anthony. Before the pandemic, there was one person in the world who had $100 billion. Now, no one should true? have $100 billion. Yeah, one. Uh, I think post-pandemic, like, well, when I looked up this statistic six months ago, so it's probably out of date already, uh, there were nine, I think, people who had $100 billion post the pandemic. And no one's... And all the... Like, the people are like, no, we should tax them, right? And the government's like, no. You don't want to tax those guys. I think you could... I think the stat that I read was something like you could feed all the hungry people in the world for five years with only (laughs) the profits that with only the profits that those people had made during the pandemic. So if they just said, we'll go back to how wealthy we were on the day the pandemic started and what we'll do is redistribute every bit of profit we made in that time to, like, feed everybody. They could feed everybody in the world for five years, I think, was the... Oh, my God. Everyone hungry in the world for five years. That's amazing. We can't do that, though, because my pile's just a little bit bigger than than Johnny's in... uh... I got to stay. That's all it is. It's like 10 guys. One guy just wants to be on top. It's just so much money. Like no one. It's just such a weird system that we think that anyone's contribution to like being a human is worth that much more than anybody else's. No, it's it's the craziest. Like if aliens came down, they'd be like, wait, what are you guys doing? So we made up this thing where Mm. everybody has money. Okay, wait, stop right there. Has what? <laughs> money. It's money. We have money. What are you talking about? Do, those guys have coconuts, right? Yeah. And you trade it for meat. No, we have money. That's where, that's where this all went wrong. That's where it all went wrong. The guy came up with money. He fucked the whole thing. You should just be trading with, for coconuts with the other guy. <laughs> Your town makes a bunch of stuff. You trade it in another town. And that's it. That's what you're doing. 
I just, I keep, I always go back to the fact that I don't want work. <laughs> You're saying that there's enough stuff for everybody to live together and have enough to survive and, you know, do the things that they need to do, but you've decided that 10 people should have, have half of that stuff. That's a bad <laughs> right. system. Like, just as an outsider, no. that's just a bad system. No. Those 10 people must no, be so great at doing something that you yeah. have elevated them to, ha- to be equal to half of the rest of the population. Yeah, one of the guys yeah. makes, a, a, makes an electric car. Oh, okay. Well, that's... I mean, that is pretty good. An electric car, good for yeah, the environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, he makes an electric car. Yeah, cool. he makes it... That's uh, what he does. And rockets. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, that's... I mean, that's cool. Rockets are cool. Um, yeah, what else? What, 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 do the, what do the other people do? One guy made um, uh, computers once. <laughs> what computers are good. Now he bought all the farmland in America and he does not want vaccines to be. Um, this is hard. He doesn't want vaccines to ever be able to get them for free. No. He, he wants. He wants people to charge for them, small, mm-hmm. a company to be able to charge money for them. So he doesn't mm-hmm. want everyone to have a vaccine. No. But that's a that's probably a good idea. I just assume it's a good idea because he has a billion dollars, so he's got to be right. He's got to be right. He's, How would he get a yeah. billion dollars if he wasn't right about things? Right? Thank you. There's no yeah. other way to do it. There is no other way to do it or measure it. That is the only measurement yeah. in our society. And then, and then another guy made a bookstore on yeah. the internet. Oh, wow. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. yeah. He's probably the richest one, I think. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, People like, he put really a bookstore on the internet. Though. Well, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's, yeah. And then, and then he drove all the stores out of business. Fun, because you know what people hated bookstores. The one oh. thing that made our society so much worse was being able to wander down the street and wander into a bookstore. The amount of times I was like, get these out of here. If this is not a Froyo shop by the end of the week, oh. someone destroy this, this sanctuary of work and knowledge in the middle of the city. Nothing made me more angry than to go into a bookstore and wander around just, quietly looking at books. No, it's just horrible. You, know, you, always hear about, you always hear about shootings of guys who just came out of a bookstore. You bookstore. always hear about it. Just, <laughs> yeah, just real stain on our society and our streets. <laughs> the, the, the capacity to be able to wander into a bookshop. Let's destroy this. Get rid of this. And whoever can do it, he can have a billion dollars. <laughs> And please put those people online. That's where they should be yeah. in their home looking at online <laughs> things. And that is it for another Faux Fop Best of compilation. I think there is one more to go next week, and then we'll be back into our regular episodes. So um, if you're still on holidays, enjoy the rest of your holidays. If you're back to work this week, oh man, I feel you. Me too. Um, but uh, we'll be bringing you more Tofop Entertainment uh, to check out all our great podcasts. Go to tofop.com. And if you want to support us, that is really, uh, uh, you know, that the best way to support us uh, is to go to patreon.com and subscribe and get access to all our bonus content. You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month, get access to all our tiers. Um, if you do subscribe at the top tier, $20 plus, you will receive an autographed poster from Will and I. We have a few left in the... Um, in the attic and we're and we're we're trying to get rid of them so sign up for twenty dollars you can do it once and then go back down to the bottom fee if you want um, but for those of you who have signed up at the top tier and stayed at the top tier we 
love you. Anyway, that's enough from me. I'm Charlie Clawson. (laughs) 